there is Rembrandt, who would be one of the greatest artists in the world, even if he had made a painting, because his prints are so powerful. Friends, and welcome to the 47th episode of Pine Copper Lime, the internet's number one printmaking podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. I release weekly podcasts with chats with people from the print world doing something a bit beyond the expected. So please subscribe on your podcast listening app of choice. You can find Pine Copper Lime on Patreon, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can sign up for our monthly newsletter with print news from around the world at pinecopperline.com. Printmaking forever, shun the non-believers. My guest this week is Gordon Cook, the founder of the London Original Print Fair, which has been held every year since 1985 at the Royal Academy of Arts. Until this year, of course. The widespread lockdown due to COVID-19 forced everyone to improvise only six weeks before the opening. When Gordon started out in the business of print dealing, it was done by sending out catalogs with type descriptions and no accompanying images to collectors and museums around the world. This year, he and the team have taken the whole print fair online, and with 7 million hits the first day, it crashed the ArtLogic server. And with good reason. I've spent quite a bit of time looking through the digitized print fair, and it is well worth a peek, everyone. There are amazing artists and publishers represented, and I have discovered many new print people I had no idea existed. Gordon is a wonderful speaker with a host of information about the print market, past and present. You're going to love it. So make sure to check out the link in the show notes to the print fair. And without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to flip through the bins with Gordon Cook. Hi, Gordon. How's it going? Well... Um, it's good. It's a, it's a beautiful sunny morning here in Bath where I am and um, the London Original Print Fair online opened at 10 o'clock yesterday morning. So we've all had a busy day. Beautiful. Well, congratulations. I am really excited to chat with you because a lot of artists, a lot of dealers, a lot of people in the art world are really facing unprecedented challenges right now when it comes to connecting people with work. And it just worked out so nicely that you and I got to connect now. So I can chat with you about what you're doing and the print fair that you run. But before we jump into all of that, would you mind telling listeners just a little bit about yourself? I always call it who you are and where you are and what you do kind of questions. I'm the chairman of the London Original Print Fair, which I started 35 years ago. But the person who really does all the work is the director, um, whose name is Helen Roslin. My background in print actually started when I was a a student. I I studied fine art at Leeds University. I made some screen prints there, and I found it incredibly difficult to... Mm what I wanted. So I decided that I wasn't going to be a printmaker. And um, a couple of of years later, I was trying to find a job and I got a job in a gallery. And the man who who ran it had a collection of prints and he wanted to start a print business. So he hired me. 
I really didn't know anything about I mean, it was largely 19th and early 20th century prints. Mm. And at university, I'd learned about Michelangelo and Rembrandt, um, but I hadn't learned about Seymour Hayden and Whistler. Mm. And so that was really my my introduction to prints. And I'd been working for him for about a year. And he um, decided it would be a good idea if one of us went off to America to try to sell some prints, because at the time, the economy in Britain was very depressed. So he decided it was me who was going to go. So he packed me off with a bag of prints. And I went round some clients and some museums and some dealers. And um, I just realized in the course of the two weeks I was in the States that not only had I fallen in love with America, but but, but the print business was something that I felt very at home in. Um, I've really been a print dealer um, ever since. I worked for this man I think for 12 years, his name was Robin Garton, and we became a partnership. We were Garton and Cook, and then we split up, and I worked from home on my own for about 10 years. And then I got a job at the Fine Arts Society, which had a wonderful gallery on New Bond Street. Sadly, they aren't there anymore, but I worked there for 20 years, and the Fine Arts Society had been the gallery that had backed James McNeil Whistler, had sent him to Venice and published his prints, and so it was a very appropriate place for me to end up, and I put on a lot of shows of Whistler there, and I found that that, um, it was interesting being a print specialist in an art gallery that I found more and more people became interested in prints and people who would not never have described themselves as a print collector found themselves buying prints. So when you said that you just sort of found yourself really at home with dealing prints, what do you think it was about that experience and about going out to museums and, and slinging prints that you really connected with? Well, I think that I found the people extremely welcoming and very generous with their knowledge. And I found they were able to tell me a great deal about the things I was trying to sell them, Hmm. which I found very interesting. Um, But I think that the print world has always had this sort of real enthusiasm. And I notice it every time I walk around a print fair, that all the exhibitors, they're not sitting in their chair on their computer or reading a newspaper. They're all sort of up there and doing something and chatting to people. I think that they really are getting out there to promote what they love and believe in. Yeah, I have absolutely found that as well as my time as a print dealer and as someone who's just in the print world in general. And what do you think it is about prints and printmaking that draws such enthusiasm? Because I know that feeling that you're talking about at a print fair mm. where everyone's really excited to be there and you don't feel it at a contemporary art fair. It's, it's completely different energy. Why do you think printmaking brings that out in people? Well, I suppose that one of the things is that um, there, are, there are a lot of prints which are made in a workshop situation. So rather than being on your own in a studio the artists find themselves with somebody else and you you know you connect with the person that you're that you're trying to make something with and you have an idea and they have skills and you bring the two together and it's a really interesting way of working which is which is unlike the normal studio practice for most artists Mm 
And I've always um, found it interesting that so many of the great artists have made prints. You know, there there is Rembrandt, who would be one of the greatest artists in the world, even if he had never made a painting, because his prints are so powerful. And mm-hmm. I, with the recent anniversary and all the exhibitions I've been to see as many of them as I could and I I just think he's the most extraordinary extraordinary creative force and that's without without sort of looking at a single one of his paintings which are themselves extraordinary and that's something that I've found as well as when you move through the world and you end up talking to people about what you do and what you do in the arts and you find you you do come across that lack of education where people think you're in photocopies or reproductions when you tell them what your business is. And you do find that the artists that people can name, even if they're not sort of quote unquote in the arts, these people made prints. You know, Rembrandt was a printmaker. Goya was a printmaker. Picasso made prints. You know, it's this, it's this really interesting hole in the knowledge of John Q. Driveway, that they don't really understand that until really recently, if you were a successful artist or you were an artist who wanted to be diverse commercially, you were going to make oil paintings, but you were also, of course, going to make prints. It's always sort of fun to share that little bit of information with someone because you can kind of see the light bulb go on, I think. The way in which so many of the artists who've made prints, when they when they have a printmaking period it seems to rejuvenate them there's something about moving from one practice to another which i think really allows an artist to get a new perspective on what where they're trying to get to and often artists do get stuck and they they're trying to make something work and it's not working and i think that the printmaking process can have the effect of giving an artist a new insight and I've heard artists who maybe printmaking isn't their primary media, but they do make prints in a collaborative setting. It's interesting to hear them say that sometimes almost the bit of the limitation that they might find when they come into a publishing studio and they say, okay, we're making a lithograph or a silkscreen or an etching or some combination of all the above. And that actual back and forth with their printer can be, while sometimes they'll, it'll, it'll be limiting in the sense like, oh, well, we can't get that effect, but we can get this effect, that working within those parameters is actually what forces their brain to do a little bit of acrobatics that does stimulate that creative thought. And they end up on the other side with something they really love, but isn't necessarily what they thought they were going to make when they came in. I think that, 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 that idea that you can go into the studio to try and do something and actually you end up doing something that you didn't think you were going to do is something that really is very unlikely to happen if you're trying to make a painting. Hmm. It's that sort of outside thing. But I think that from the buyer and collector's point of view, that, that the fact that there is somebody other than the artist who has actually been involved in the creative process is a way for them to connect because if you go to an art fair um you know you generally can't actually talk to the artist you're talking to somebody whose job it is to sell the pictures mm-hmm. whereas the print fair quite often you're talking to somebody who actually pulled the thing that they're trying to sell you 
Speaking of the print fair, how did it start? What was the impetus? I know in your email you said it was really just a handful of dealers to begin with, and it's it's grown since then, but I'd love to hear the year's 1985, and you decide to start a print fair. Like, how did that happen? It was really inspired by, by an event that I went to in New York. I mean, in the late 70s and the early 80s, there were quite a lot of people of my kind of age who were just starting off in the print business. You know, I think we were very enthusiastic about this area, which had been fairly dormant in the post-war years. Mm. And sort of suddenly, I think in the 60s, there were a number of artists who, who started making prints and there were, and, and there were um, printmaking studios in Britain and America. Um, but at the same time, there were these enthusiastic dealers and enthusiastic curators at museum. And I think there was a real sort of feeling of enthusiasm for Prince. And I got into the way of, of, of traveling around America, buying and selling things. In, in 1984, some um, dealers in New York organized a small fair in a schoolroom on the Upper East Side, and it was a tabletop fair, and I thought I'd go along, so I, t- I turned up, and, the, and there was a line-up outside, and, um, you know, it was incredibly busy. I think it was, it was on for one or two days, but, but I think that a great deal of business was done, and um, I thought it was rather a good idea, but I thought that if you were going to do something like that in London, it would need to be on a rather grander scale. So mm. I talked to um, a number of the other London dealers and there was some enthusiasm doing it because even in those days, the majority of print dealers did not have shops on the high street. Most of them were either private dealers or they were sort of, they had a private space upstairs or something like that. And so I think there was a general feeling that we could expand our business and get more people interested in prints if we were able to do something in public. And so that was really the driving force behind this. I wrote to Norman Rosenthal, who was the who was the head of exhibitions at the Royal Academy. And he'd become interested in prints when they put on an exhibition of Venice 1600, that there'd been a print section in that. And I think it had been considered to be a great success. And so he was sort of primed to the idea. And I had a meeting with him and he said, well, you know, we'd love to do a fair. There were 16 of us who who put the first fair on upstairs in the Royal Academy in the space that's now the Sackler Galleries. And um, it went incredibly well. And it has grown gradually over 35 years um it got bigger and then eventually we were able to have a larger space in the main galleries of the royal academy and that's really in, enabled us to to make a really powerful statement about prince because yeah. i think the galleries of the royal academy are some of the most beautiful in the world and i think that that it, it's really given it's given prince a status in Britain that it would have been hard to do if we organized a fair in a tent. I think over the 35 years that that our fair has been going, I think that interest in art and interest in prints has grown. I think there's been a real sort of groundswell. 
what you were saying about the context in which the prints are seen, you know, in these beautiful gallery spaces, that's really can't be understated because the way that people come to understand art and its value is so much about context. You know, you can go to an op shop and see some poor matte burned print shoved in a frame in, on the wall in the back. And it's just, it could be a beautiful print, but it will never have the same effect as seeing it in these art spaces that inspire that kind of awe. So I think that's beautiful that you're getting to put on the fair within that space and from the beginning as well, I'm sure is doing absolute wonders for that profile of print. We've been particularly fortunate with the location because, of course, the Royal Academy is an active organisation which is run by artists and a lot of them are printmakers. And and at the moment, the president of the Royal Academy, Rebecca Salter, is somebody who was elected as a printmaker. So, you know, it means that right at the top, we've got somebody who's enthusiastic mm. for doing and a lot of the RAs are printmakers and you know they they always seem to be people who have boundless energy and real enthusiasm so it's been a real help for us it always helps I think in any institution if you've got someone up at the top who already understands print for sure I know that my friends and colleagues who teach if the head of their department is a printmaker who understands print I know that their lives are much easier even within that setting so that's wonderful that the Royal Academy has that presence in that history as well and the previous uh, president Christopher Lebrun is a printmaker as well so we've had a lot of support there for for us what we're trying to do and and for the message that we're we're, we're trying to get out because it's the same it's the same as their message and it's been very interesting that over the years that the print fair has been going sales of prints at the ra summer exhibition have grown a great deal i, I believe they currently account for about a third of all the sales from the summer exhibition hmm. why do you think that is how have you managed to grow the profile of it and grow that interest where does that come from i can't really explain it easily hmm. but but i think when the fair started you could recognize a print collector from a hundred yards a studious person in a dirty mac um, <laughs> who was not terribly interested in their appearance but, but if you put them in front of a pile of prints you know they would be there for hours studying them and then i think gradually there are all sorts of people who started buying prints who who didn't really fit that profile, and and lots of them were people who actually had bought paintings or sculpture or furniture or were interested in design, and they got sucked into prints. And instead of buying something in a mount and taking it home and putting it and putting it in a box, they were they were putting it in a frame and putting it on the wall. Uh, and when we had the first print fair, one of the rules was that all the exhibitors had to put put an exhibition of framed prints on the wall. Mm. And I remember the exhibitor saying that he'd never actually framed a print before. One of the things that's I'm really curious to hear you speak to is this idea of this divide between 
the print collector and the art collector, if there is such a thing. Because it sounds like when you first started, as you said, you knew a print collector when you saw them because they just they they were different than maybe your average art collector. And something that while I love the dedicated print collectors that I've worked with because they have that passion and that enthusiasm, or I guess I've always wished that paper was thought of as an intrinsic part of every diverse art collection. The same way that people say, oh, well, if you're getting kind of serious about it, you should probably get a sculpture and you should probably get a bronze. And I see that given as advice all the time, but I'd love to see paper thrown in there as well. But it's it's such an interesting question to me about the way that our world cross-pollinates with the broader art world. Yeah. Well, I think that's a very interesting question, and I think that that, that there has been a change, and it, it is partly to do with the fact that the old-fashioned kind of collector would pick an artist or they would pick a school or something, and then they would simply collect that. But I, I think that, that in the course of my working lifetime, the way people approach art and, and collect art and the way they decorate their homes has changed. Mm. and. I think that for for a lot of, of people who've been collecting art, it's become a, a part of the way that they live. And it's not what they do for a living, but they want to live with the art that inspires them. And I think that probably 50 years ago, there really wouldn't have been an awful lot of people you would have said that about. Hmm. I think that many more people have been inspired to take that approach to the way that they live and the and the way that they make their home. Before that, you might see people collecting for value or status, you know, because it sounds like the change that you've seen is people maybe just buying what they love and buying, as you say, what inspires them. And so before that happened, was it just, you know, I have to have something on my walls, they can't be blank, do you think? Well, I think that in the case of print, an awful lot of people actually didn't even put them on the walls. They would Mm. buy print a given artist they would have a box under the bed which contained a whole lot of other prints by that artist and and they would enjoy their collection by taking the box out and sort of having a look through it but I think that that so many of the people who go to an art fair or a print fair they see something and they can just see that on their wall at home and I think it's a more open approach for collecting. Yeah and that was always the conversation that I would have with collectors too, especially new ones that aren't entirely familiar with how and why people collect, they've just found themselves in an art gallery, is I would always say, look, you can't ever guarantee anything. And I think people sometimes come to art collecting thinking, if I buy this piece, it is going to go up in value universally. And of course, that's just not the case. You know, there's so many different factors that influence uh, the value that a piece of art has, and it can go up and it can go down, and it's supply and demand like anything. And I always used to say, if you buy a piece because you love it, you will never regret it. And if it quadruples in value and it, you can put it towards your kid's education in 18 years, that's amazing, wonderful, congrats. But 
truly, if you buy something because you know it's going to bring you joy or make you feel something or remind you of something, then it is always a good investment. And that's really where the best motivation for collecting comes from. I think you're absolutely right. And and one particular conversation I remember in the Fine Arts Society, a fairly financially sophisticated American was talking about sort of art as an investment. And he said that, you know, he, he didn't really think of buying things with a view to them being worth more. But he said, the great thing about art is I buy this thing and it gives me so much pleasure and the tax man can't get his hands on my pleasure. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think that people who don't even, or people who just haven't set a foot in the art world or the collecting world at all, I think they just, they get this idea that, well, art collecting is for millionaires who can swoop into Sotheby's auctions and bid things up and then flip it in five years time and go buy a new Porsche with it. And sure, of course, that's part of the art world. But the vast majority of it is just individuals looking at images and figuring out whether or not they feel something about them. And I just I love that about printmaking is that because it does have that more accessible entry point it's such a great way for people to start collecting and it's such a great way for people who maybe already are collecting in a serious way to really diversify their aesthetic and the names and whatever else they have so it's it has such a beautiful place within the world of art collecting i think that you're you're really hitting an important point which is that that for a lot of people, buying a print is the first work of art that, that they will ever buy. And quite often they're surprised that they can find something which which really engages them for, for the price of a meal or mm-hmm. the theatre or something like that. And instead of it just being for one evening, they have this thing for life. I would love it if people understood that more. And that's part of... I don't know, part of my my mission with the podcast, part of my passion is people who would spend $450 on a pair of shoes that they'll wear a few times, or as you say, taking people out to a meal. It's just, I just want them to know, like, if you're at a place in your life where you can spend that much on pleasure, you can spend it on art and you can get something that really, really, really you're going to love. And I think that that it's interesting how I found as print specialist, having worked in an art gallery, um, that before I worked at the Fine Art Society, um, you would talk to somebody about a print they were thinking of buying and they'd want to know what state it was and what the edition size was and Mm. to look at the back of a sheet of paper and uh, check the condition and all that kind of thing. And then I started at the Fine Arts Society and I put these things in a frame on the wall and people would just walk up to me and say, well, you know, I'll buy it. Mm, (laughs) And it is quite interesting how you can get these two different approaches. And one of the things that I found as well is that sometimes when people would come to see me at the gallery, they would have just enough information 
to get themselves in trouble it's or sort of or like just enough information maybe to be troublesome would be a better way to put it where you know they come in and you're looking at let's say like a relatively small beautifully done etching by a contemporary canadian printmaker and they're like well what state is this in where it's a certificate of authenticity. I just want to be like, I understand that you've Googled what to ask for when you're buying a print, but it the, it's just a completely different context than in, you're in right now. And that's always a bit of a delicate conversation to have because you don't want to embarrass them because they have tried to do their homework. Yeah. But it's it's you do just kind of have to let them down a little easy and be like, okay, yeah. You know, that that sometimes is the case, but in this case, this is where we are at. Well, no, I think that that, 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 that people can easily be a bit frightened of, of the art world, and it's really our job to reassure people that they should just go with their instincts. Obviously, mm. you need to ask questions and to know about what you're buying, as you would if you were buying... Um, if you were buying a car or if you were buying a house, you know, such, some works of art are quite expensive and you need to reassure yourself. Um, but I think that, that the, the thing about most of the people that I've come across in the print world is they really do know what they're selling. And, and you ask them a question and they just naturally know the answer. They don't have to go and, and Google it or look it up. They're very knowledgeable. I think some of that certainly comes from just that natural passion that we've talked about and that enthusiasm too is that of course anything that you're really excited about it's just always easier to hold that information in your head so speaking of that kind of a little bit of that difference between selling secondary market work and contemporary work for the london original print fair is it just dealers do you have some artists selling their work do you have dealers who are using modern and contemporary work what's the actual offering in terms of the huge range of prints out there what what would you see at the london original print fair when it started off there wasn't any contemporary work at all it it was a few years before we we started embracing that so it started off with old masters old masters and modern but you know the market has changed and in and so i would say that the majority of what is is for sale now is contemporary work by living artists. We have a mixture of dealers and galleries and printmaking workshops. And then the Royal Academy itself has a stand. And so does the, the, the Royal Society of Painter Printmakers. So, so, so the, 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 there are these two artist collectives within the umbrella. Um, but the majority... I would say, are dealers and printmaking studios, printmaking studios and publishers. When I know people who are looking for modern printmakers or old masters, they tend to be like art collectors with a capital A and a capital C, and they have certain names that they're going for, or they have certain genres, as you say. Whereas when I would sell the contemporary work, it would often be younger people it would often be people who are looking strictly for an aesthetic is do you find that perhaps that's the case as well with what you've been doing i think that is so i mean i would characterize the change over the 40 odd years i've been in the art business that when i started i'd say that probably 
um, 80% of the art market was the old and 20% was the contemporary. And now I'd say it's, it's, it's completely reversed. I think that has really changed life for artists. I think that so many more of them are able to sell their work than all those years ago. And art fairs have played a big part in doing that. A question that came up for me as we've been chatting, which interestingly, I'm realizing that I don't, you know, I don't know the answer to this is that, do you think print fairs have been around longer than what we talk about when we talk about just an art fair in general? Probably that's the case. And Hmm. I think when I started off, the print market was something which was international. And um, when I first got a job, the man I worked for had sent out a catalogue to his mailing list. And when I say a catalogue, it was um, it was three pages of type descriptions with the artist's name, the title, the dimensions. Mm. Uh, there were no illustrations <laughs> at all. And these were sent off around the world. And You'd send this out in the post and then you'd get telegrams and phone calls and letters from people and they would order things. And, you know, this is back in the 1970s. There were all these people who were interested in prints and most of them were most of them were lawyers or doctors or teachers or something. You know, they tended to be professional people. And then there were also museums. You could send them a written description, but they probably knew what it looked like um, because they'd seen an illustration of it somewhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very interesting um, how knowledgeable those people were. And I thought in a in a curious way, that kind of marketing is what we've ended up having to do with the print fair this year because uh, because we can't hold it in the Royal Academy, that in a sense, the, the virtual online fair is the is the modern equivalent of what we were doing in the 70s. Hmm. This is a perfect little segue into what I wanted to talk about next, which is the art fair had been going on for 35 years in the Royal Academy. And all of a sudden, 2020 comes along and the world turns into a very different place. So you've gone online this year because we can't gather in large groups for the time being. Can you tell me about that process and how that's going to work and the response that you've had? Because it's been up for about 24 hours now. So I just love to hear about the the London Original Print Fair in its digital form right now. The, the phrase that comes to mind is steep learning curve. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, we do have some younger people working who put a huge amount of work into making this a reality it um it just so happens that we decided we de- we decided last year that we needed a new website and fortunately um it's been a design which we could adapt so we could have these viewing rooms we decided that we had to cancel the fair and i think it was about 6 weeks before the fair was due to take place so we didn't have an awful lot of time to to conceive of this to suggest it to exhibitors to get them behind the idea and now it is a reality and we opened at 10 o'clock on friday morning and according to art logic who who put the site together we had 7 million hits in the first 15 minutes 
um, which I frankly find incredible. But anyway, I got an email that says that's what happened. And, um, and as a result, the site crashed. And so they had to very quickly put together a dedicated server, which they did in, in very short order. And, oh uh, so, and, and so it was quite a day yesterday. We don't really know the, the results yet. We've just simply been passing inquiries on to the exhibitors. And I'm sure in due course we'll find out um, how it has gone in terms of sales. But certainly there's no shortage of enthusiasm. So we're recording on May 2nd and it's going to go out, come out on May 6th. So how much longer will people have to explore the fair after this publication? Right. Well, they are going to have the whole of the month of May. We're going to keep it up for, for a month, which obviously is a great advantage over, you know, what used to be something. And we had an opening on Wednesday night. And before you knew it, it was Sunday night. And everybody, having spent hours putting it all up, had a, a few minutes to take it all down. Right. Yeah. I definitely have been at print fairs, you know, Sunday afternoon, just where everyone is just completely knackered. And you're just looking at all your bins and all your frames and all of your uh, cylinder boxes that you have to fill. And yeah, it can be a little daunting. So I'm sure that, you know, while people are very much going to miss that face-to-face interaction, and of course, the incredible experience of seeing prints in person, Probably there are one or two dealers and artists and publishers, I would guess, who maybe are breathing like a little bit of a sigh of relief. I think the last couple of years have, have been extremely hard for people in the art business. I think it's been it, it's been very tough. And, you know, this, frankly, is the last thing that they needed. But, but, yeah. but you know, art people are amazing. They find some resources of energy somewhere. And I've been really impressed by the enthusiasm of them in embracing this new idea yeah and i will definitely put a link in the show notes to the podcast so people can just go and take a stroll as well and on the and on the pine copper lime website my next question was do you have anything particularly that you've learned from this experience that you think you're going to take into 2021 well you know i think that we have had to embrace the fact that that it's more difficult to reach to reach our audience and Mm. uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this works and whether people like it and whether it is a good way of reaching people I I think one of the reasons that we set up the fair was that we wanted people to come in and to look at the things and to handle them and to to and to have a conversation with the dealers and the and the printmakers and the publishers but you, you know I think that this gives us an opportunity to connect with people um, who aren't able to visit the Royal Academy. And we generally had an attendance of about 10,000, hmm. which is in the course of a fair. But, you know, in its virtual form, you can multiply that so many times. So I think it's a real opportunity for us to, to get out there and do the missionary work that you were talking about earlier. Mm hmm when we were chatting via email and we shared the sentiment that there are only two kinds of people in the world, the people who know about prints and love them and the people who just don't understand prints yet. And I do think that printmaking is 
really well posed to be successful in the online sales world. No, I mean, it's proved to be an extremely adaptable medium. And of course, you know, when when prints were first distributed, the idea was so that an artist could get their imagery out there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've painted a fresco or, you know, something that which is in a church, the audience is going to be very small. But if you make a print of it and it's distributed around Europe, it gives you a much bigger market. And, of course, with the Internet, the way in which an image can can go around the world, it's extraordinary. I still get excited about prints every time. And every time I see them, I have this this thing that I that I do that probably drives my husband a little bit crazy, but I can't help it. But even if we're watching a film and there's a print in the background in someone's apartment, I always just have to reach across and give him a little like whack on the arm and be like, print. <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's it's so interesting to me that I you get that gene and you get that bug and you can't you can't help it. So I'm I'm really excited to see how successful this will be and hopefully it'll just drum up more interest for next year. And and in relation to your your enthusiasm for seeing prints in films, um, I don't know if you if you've ever looked carefully at Whistler's painting of his mother. That in the background behind her is one of his prints. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. One of the most famous paintings in the world, and uh, and there in the background is is one of his Thames prints. <laughs> That's amazing. The print cameo in yeah, as you said, one of the most iconic paintings. Well, I'm assuming that you are a print collector yourself and that you have a print collection because generally speaking, uh, it's hard to not be in this business if you don't also have that passion for it. And I was wondering if you have a particular piece in your collection that you've got an affection for or a story about how you got it or just a piece that stands out to you that you might want to talk about just as a little anecdote about some of the the joys of print collecting from just a personal point of view. Um, I, I don't really see myself as a collector, ah. and I I think I came to the conclusion quite early on in my in my career that if you if you were a collector, you wouldn't be such a good dealer because you want stuff <laughs> for yourself. But fortunately, I have ended up with a few things, and. Um, I think that one of the prints that caught my eye early on in my career was an early etching by Whistler called The Kitchen, which um, he did in 1858. So he was in his mid-20s. And I think it's a very sort of complex, really powerful. And your eye is drawn into this sort of narrow kitchen space. At the end of it, there is a woman working at a sink or, or something and I've always liked this print, and I'd bought and sold several impressions of it. And so then the time came when I saw one, and um, I could afford to buy it for myself. And it's not that long ago, but I walk past it every day, and and I just love it more and more. Mm-hmm. And it's a print which was um, published right at the beginning of his career, and I think it's as it's as beautiful as anything that he made. 
I love that idea too that especially when something stays with you like that and keeps kind of appearing in your life that it can grow your affection for it mm-hmm. and I think the truly beautiful prints and the truly great works of art in general but prints of course are what bring us here today that that is the incredible power that they have where your relationship with them becomes more complex and more deep when you actually have them in your space and in your life. And that's such an incredible gift that art collecting and print collecting offers is the ability to have an ongoing and complex relationship with an image. And sometimes by extension, it feels like to an artist. I, I really feel I've got to know Whistler. Hmm. I, the years by by looking at his work and putting on exhibitions of his work and selling them and buying them and talking to people about them and he's an artist who seems to fascinate academics as well as collectors i feel he's um he's one of my people hmm. i love that yeah well before we sign off can you let people know where they can find the print fair digitally this year and where they can maybe even sign up for updates or follow you or if they've got if there's a social media for it or anything like that where where are the spaces online that people can find the london original print fair right now you just put london original print fair into your search engine and that should take you to the website it's got the virtual fair and you can go to the viewing rooms we've also got sections in there where some interesting people have have selected works from the exhibitions which inspired them and then we put together some groups of of prints which are collected under a theme and you can just go in there and explore. I cannot wait to do that myself. Like I said before, I'll put a link in the show notes to that and I'll, I'll pop it out on our social media as well so people can experience it. And thank you so much for joining me. It is such a treat to chat with another print enthusiast and print dealer and for just sharing the story of the London Original Print Fair. It was really, truly a pleasure. Thank you, Miranda. It's just all the pleasure is mine. Wonderful. Well, I will be in touch as the episode comes out in the next couple days. And thank you again. I hope you have a a beautiful day in Bath. (laughs) Well, well, thanks very much and, and a good night to you. Thank you so much, Gordon. Bye now. Bye. Well, that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Delita Martin. Delita joined me from her studio in Texas during a thunderstorm, and we talk about portraiture, printmaking, and the spirit world. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing help from Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week. Thank you.